This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Romans 5, uh, verse 17. Some of you guys already know. Romans 5, verse 17 says this, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. <sighs> so, in Romans five seventeen, we see that once we receive the gift, this wonderful gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace, then we start to reign in life. And this idea of reigning and receiving is so, I think, so important for us. We see it all over the Bible, um, and I can feel his heart for it tonight for us to like kind of unpack. Um, and I think it's really important for us to kind of revisit this idea of receiving that we talked about before. Um, we, and we talked about the importance of receiving because as you can see in scripture, it's like once we receive that, then we get to reign. And so if things get in the way of us receiving, then things will get in the way of us reigning. Um, so as we unpack this, uh, like I said, just keep your heart open to the spirit of God. Okay. Cause there's so much in here that sounds so juicy, but if we just leave it in the menu, we never get to actually enjoy it, then it's just frustrating. It's truly frustrating. It's from experience. To have righteousness laid out in all of Scripture, I mean, Romans 2, Romans 3, Romans, I mean, all of Romans. And 2 Corinthians, where it says, you know, I think it's 5, what is it, 21, where it says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we become the righteousness of God. To see that on a menu and not get to experience that in my life is so frustrating. If I leave righteousness as just a legal scripture and it's not affecting my day-to-day life, this access to -to face-to-face relationship with God, if it's not affecting my day-to-day life, then it becomes so frustrating to hear people come up here and talk about righteousness or to read about it. So we talked about how receiving is actually what um, takes us. As we revisit receiving, it's like it talks about this is what takes us from just the legal, from just what we can read here in Scripture, to actually seeing it in our day-to-day lives. Um, and I guess the best picture is at the beginning of the book, right? Where you have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, um, and they're walking around. And it says in Genesis 2, verse 25, that um, they were naked and unashamed. And then in Genesis 3, verse 7, it says, then their eyes were opened. And they realized they were naked and they hid themselves. They covered themselves with fig leaves and they hid from God. And God was chasing them down. Um, and he's like, where are you? Where are you? And um, you see that although nothing changed in two and three, in chapter two and chapter three, nothing changed. They were naked here and they were naked in three. Naked before they ate and naked after they ate. Both in the natural, exactly the same. What changed was their perception of themselves shifted and therefore their relationships were devastated they immediately thought i have to hide from you and then they heard god and said i have to hide from you too and so what they allowed in they began to live out of <sighs> and so that's why i think it was really important for us to hit those um hit that as the start of our um our righteousness talk does that make sense um so our perceptions are of ourselves would change um 
it's a really sad story because it's not the end of the story, so don't get too sad. But, but when I was talking about with God, he was kind of explaining to me that it's a really sad story because he was chasing them down. They, their perceptions of themselves actually affected how they saw his pursuit. He's saying, I'm pursuing relationship with you. And they said, I'm scared. But he's saying, where are you? Where are you? He's saying, he's saying I'm right here. I want to be with you. But where are you? He's not, he's not asking because he doesn't know. He's trying to help Adam locate the fact that he's never left. He's chasing him down. I want to be with you. But where are you? I'm here. I want to be with you. And there, his perception of his, himself, Adam, shifted. And therefore, you know, he, he hid. And this is so crazy. We're talking about this during worship. We're talking about um, shake up what can be shaken because I've been pray- as I've been diving into righteousness, I've been giving God permission to do that, to go touch idols, to go touch whatever he wants in my heart. And it's so funny because he, he, when I went there with him, I saw what they hid in were plants. I don't know if you remember it. Everything in Genesis 1, God made, he said it was good. The plants were good. The trees were good. The fish were good. Everything was good except for when we were by ourselves. But besides that, everything was good. And so they're taking something that is good and they're hiding in it. And I found that I actually do the same thing. When I invited him to come and shake things up, I found that I actually use things I can see in the natural that are good to hide from God. When my perception of myself shifts. Does that that make sense? And this is really good. This got really intimate. And I didn't realize this until like, I seriously, I'm saying, God, I want to be intimate with you. And I can feel him wanting to undress me. And I'm not talking about the natural. I can feel, I'm talking about here, they're they're hiding in plants. What, What do you think those plants were doing? They were hiding their private parts. Like they were naked and unashamed. And then they were naked and they're like, oh my gosh, my private parts are exposed. I have to cover them with things in the natural. But, but this idea of him making us in his image and going, be fruitful and multiply. They went to hide the parts of their bodies that he's called to help us multiply. But he's not a God who's a natural God. He's a spirit God. So he's walking around in the spirit, God is spirit. So he's not looking at the fruit and what they did wrong. He's not looking at their private private parts and saying that's wrong. What is the reproductive organ of our spirit? And this is what I've been doing. As, as I give an invitation to shake up some of the things, like take, uh, deal with some of my idols, whatever you want to do, just shake it up. Anything I've built, not on you. And I've seen him go around to different shows, different foods, things that I have in the natural that are good, that I use to cover my private part. My, my heart, my reproductive organ. And I say, I, I, I know you're pursuing relation. You, I know some of you guys feel this. You can feel his pursuit of you, but instead of saying, I want to be, I want to be vulnerable with you. I can let you undress me. I would rather use this natural thing to, 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 to cover my private part so that I don't have to um, show you my private parts. I know. And this is the heart. This is our husband. He's trying to undress us. Simple, simple. I, I didn't. I don't. I don't really. I don't really love saying this, but it's simple. Really, when he was when he's poking at things, I realized it's not a matter of. It's, it's simply this: when I cover myself with something natural, it just means that in his pursuit of my heart, in his pursuit of relationship, I say, I want this to cover me. This is coming between you and I. This comes first. So before I, I yield or interact or engage with his in relationship, face-to-face intimacy with him, I say, before that, this touches my heart first. I would rather this touch my heart than you. 
And this is why I, I, last week I, showed, I shared this story that I laid down, I was, it was so funny, I was about to eat some food and it smelled so delicious and it sounded so delicious, like the idea of it. And I was like, you know what? I want more than this, I want you. And I laid down on my face and I curled up with him and I started to remember the fact that that I had been so unfaithful. Like once you realize it, sometimes you don't realize that some of the things you're doing are so bad. And I realized, oh my gosh, I was such an idiot back then. Like, like I can't believe. So I curled up with him and I told him, I said, God, I know your word says in Jeremiah 30 that you don't even remember our sin, that you don't even remember what I'm about to tell you. So this is going to be like really awkward, but I wasn't always faithful to you. I wasn't. I let things in. I let, I was intimate with things. I basically cheated on you. You would never believe it. I know you don't remember, but I wasn't, I haven't always been faithful. And then he said, that's why I never wanted our relationship to be dependent on your performance. This is why. And it milled to my heart. It milled to my heart. This, my, I was sitting there with my husband and he's, and he's saying, this is why I didn't want it to be built on your performance because you couldn't do it. And then we'd have, this will be ruined. This face to face will be ruined. If it was, if your right standing was dependent on your performance, this we couldn't have this, and this is what I built you for. And so he's sitting there telling us, and it's touching my heart. And what I did was exactly what we're talking about. Um, what they allowed in, they lived out of, right? What I did was I heard him say that as my husband, and I let that sink in. And then all of my past looked different. And all of my future looked way different. Because I let that sink into my heart that, oh, this is why. You didn't want to base on my, I let what my father was saying sink in. And because of that, it changed how I saw my whole life, my relationship. In fact, I went home and I was different with my wife and my kids. My relationships were impacted by what I was allowing in. What I was allowing in, I was living out of. You know, we talk about in Genesis 3, 7, nothing happened. They were naked too, naked in three, right? The only thing that happened was their eyes were, um, their, their perceptions were changed. But what, how did their perceptions get changed? It said their perceptions changed when they realized they were naked. How did they realize they were naked? It says their eyes were open. How did their eyes get open? Because of what they allowed in. So that's a sad picture there in the garden, but in my office, it was a beautiful picture. My eyes were open because of I, what my husband was saying, I allowed it in. My perception changed because my eyes were open. My eyes were open because my eyes were open to his goodness. I never saw his goodness like that before. My eyes were open to his mercy. My eyes were open to his grace. My eyes have been open to his love and my eyes have been open to his sacrifice. All because I just let him in. So you see how the first step of righteousness being receiving is like, it makes sense, right? First step of righteousness, let's receive it. And receiving not just mean like, you know, receiving me what we allow in, okay? So we go back to Romans 5, 17, and you see that those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. So then in my head, no, nah, it's not true. My best friend told me the second step is righteousness, or reigning. So that, that connection makes sense. We learn how to receive, and then the, those who receive the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace will reign in life. So step two, reigning. And remember, this is not a formula, it's not a teaching. This is a husband who's longing to be with his wife. So keep your heart open to him. I think when we start to break down some reigning stuff, we like really get into like how, you know, reigning or what does that mean? Because that sounds so exciting, right? But when we really dive into it, I think it's very important for us to go back to the beginning, back to the garden. And the reason I say that is because, well, if you don't know my son, Levi, before he ever took his first breath, God and I had conversations about him and God would tell me about who he's going to be and the man he's going to be. That's where he got his name. That's where that actually is what informs how I put him to bed. And when we wake up in the morning, how we interact and um, how I father him. 
And so because I knew his purpose and his destiny on the earth, it informed how I, from a father to a son, it informed how I discipline him, how I sell it, how I talk to him, what I affirm in him, how I mold him, how I mature, how I do all stuff. It helps me to know what he's built for and what he's made for. And so as we go into this idea of reigning, it's so important for us to go back to the garden because from a son perspective, it will help us so much to understand the discipline of a father, the maturing of a father, what he's been trying to do when he's saying, I want to protect you. I want to provide for you when he's been when he's been speaking to you how he meets you in the morning when you wake up and how he tucks you in at night at bed it'll help so much to understand why uh, you're even alive right now and what he's asked you to do and what he's called you to be is like that's why I like to go back to the garden when it comes to raining because we're built for it so as you go to the garden we see in Genesis 1 the start of the story God makes us in his image before we take our first breath, he's saying, let's make it. He's like, he's like dreaming about us. He's like, let's make him in our image. And then he makes everything, right? And it's pretty similar. He makes the plants and the, and the, and the bugs and the animals, all that stuff. And he says, like, be fruitful and multiply. And that's a wonderful time. Everything's fruitful and everything multiplies. But he gives us this special instru- instruction. And he says, I want you to rule and reign. I've built you to rule and reign and have dominion and subdue the earth. And so keep that, just the same way I told you about me and Levi, keep that in mind when you look at how he deals with people in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is because he's built us to rule and to reign. So how he's going to discipline, how he's going to guide and and father and love and, and give his grace is because he knows that our actions are way more impactful than anything else on the earth because we're built to rule and reign. Because of how he's built us, it's good. Does that make, does that help us like in some of these things? So then you look at the garden and you look at the implications of what they did. It's such a sad picture. Sometimes. But but you look at, they've been built, Adam and Eve been built to rule and reign. And their father's saying, I, I made you for, I made you, I, I want to have a relationship with you. In fact, you see in the garden, he's pursuing a relationship with them. And because of what they let in, they never stopped ruling and reigning. What they received determined how they were reigning. So they let in this fruit, and it wasn't a fruit. They let in this idea that I can be God apart from you. I want to be my own God. I want to, I don't need you. I, I, they let in the knowledge of good and evil. Th- this, this idea of what they let in, it changed how they were going to, re- they never stopped ruling and reigning. Um, it's funny, we talk about Romans 5. I, I think about, this is just a beautiful, I love Romans. Romans 5, you know, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life, right? The very next page paints this picture of, okay, so what does that mean? We're, we, we, um, we get to do what we want. Um, Romans 6, verse um, 15 and 16. Can you put that up for me, actually? Because Paul is, is like, he's like, so now that we're not under the law, oh, so what then? Shall we, shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not, under, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Okay, you can put that off. So we look at Adam and Eve in the garden and you see that they never stopped uh, subduing the earth. They never stopped. They never gave up their dominion. They still had the authority that God given them and he, and he built them for relationship and authority. But what you see is they, what they, their ruling never, like the fact that they were called to rule never changed. But who was ruling them changed. Does that make sense? Does that, 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 does that like distinction make sense? Because I think sometimes we think that, oh, we give up authority. When we, when we, and it's like, no, no, no. You still have authority. When you look, oh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll leave that there. What we receive 
what they received changed who they who was ruling them. That's a sad picture. It's a sad picture because I mean, you had to picture God in the garden, sitting there with his kids, and saying, "You I mean the Garden of Eden?" Literally meaning delight. Like the direct translation is delight. And so he's sitting there saying, "I want you to tend and to keep this. I want you to. I want you to tend. I want you to give it your attention. So pay attention. Keep it. Keep it. Keep it. Uh, keep. Let pay attention to delight and to keep it. Don't let go of it. Hold on to. It. Keep delighting. To, like just take it. This is this is the context we're born in. We're we're born into the Garden of Eden, born into delight, born into the, the day of rest. I mean, our first day on earth was a day of rest. Born into rest and put in charge of delight, okay? And then we have all this dominion. And he's like, please just don't eat this one tree because it will kill you. I mean, I can imagine if I was sitting there with my kids and I was like, please don't eat this. It's poison. You'll die. And then they were to go and take it and die. And their kids die. And their kids' kids die. And their kids' kids die. And as a father, I would be heartbroken. It's such a sad thing to say that I would forfeit the truth about this marvelous God for a lie. That I would trade the creator for creation. It's such a sad idea because it kills. It's so, it's so sad. It's a sad story, but it's not the end of the story. Okay. Remember in Romans 5, 17, uh, do we, I keep skipping it, but um, in Romans 5, 17, this is how it starts. I mean, you can put it back up there. I don't know where I am. There I am. Okay, cool. This, it's a sad story, but it's not the end of the story because it talks about what Adam did. It said, for if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus. Oh, sorry, let's keep reading. Why not keep reading? Okay. Because I, I kind of, I feel like we set the stage for um, righteousness and receiving and what it looks like to reign and, and how our, our, our relationship with right, righteousness and, sorry, receiving and right, uh, reigning is. So many R words. I'm like, rah, 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 rah. The, the difference between um, how what we receive affects how we reign on the earth and how that affected um, Adam and Eve and stuff. But I, I want to kind of go further into what it looks like to reign. And he, he keeps going. So he says, even though Adam did that, you know, if you receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, then you'll reign in life. And it says, therefore, as, the, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, even so through one man's righteousness, righteous act, the, gift, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. And so I was looking at, what does that mean? Yeah. I looked at the word justification. Another word for justification, when it talks about justification of life, is grounds. So when it looks like, um, like you're in court and you, you make something, you say something, they're like, out of order. I don't actually don't know the court word. What do they say? Overruled, things like that. It's like, if you have no grounds to make a stand in court, if you have no justification to do, to stand for what our grounds is, what our grounds are for having this life, for having this intimate relationship, this face-to-face relationship with God, what our grounds are is Christ. Those are our grounds. Those are our justifications. And when I, was, when I thought of this picture of like standing on Christ, I was immediately reminded of Exodus um, where Moses is sitting there and saying, show me your glory. I think it's important that we go there. So let's go to Exodus chapter 33. And I think I'm referencing um, 33, 18, but we'll just skip down to 21 because uh, here's what happens. Hold on. Let me get there. What did I say? Genesis 33? Oh, sorry. I said, I'm, I'm all over the place. Um, 
Exodus 33. Yeah, thank you, God. Okay, so this this picture of us being justified, this picture of us having grounds for relationship with God, our grounds, it made me think of when Moses said, show me your glory, because he literally says, show me your glory, God. Please show me your glory. And God's like, oh, I'll show you my glory. I'll proclaim my name. I'll do all all stuff. He said, first things first, though, stand on this rock. Oh, you got up there. The Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. You can go to the next one. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. Okay, let's just stop there for a second. So he says, show me your glory. And he says, first things first, stand on this rock. This, 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 maybe you guys don't know the picture of what's happening here. Moses is having a face-to-face conversation with God. I'm talking about pillar smoke. People are worshiping. It's going crazy. He's having a face-to-face encounter with God. And he's saying way more than what's captured in there. He's saying, I want to know you and be known by you. And this righteous relationship with God, this glorious face-to-face encounter, this friendship, all of it is, is he's saying, show me your glory, God. And God says, first things first, let me put you on this rock. Stand on this rock. Talk about the literal idea of right standing with God. Here, you want to see my glory? Stand in the right place. You stand right there. It's it's not, it's not, we don't have to stand on a physical rock to have his glory. It's not what he's saying. He's painting a picture. It's like a teaser, like a trailer for a movie. He's saying the rock being Christ. He's saying, I'm going to paint this picture. Is our right standing that we're talking about here, okay, we want to see that we want the glory, we want this beautiful face-to-face relationship with God, okay, then it's going to happen when we stand on the rock. We stand on Christ. It's so funny because I was like, I was thinking about that. God, I don't want to just stand on the rock. I want to build my life on the rock. And then we sing the song we did, and I was like, oh, they hear from God, dude. Because I was like, I want to build my life on it. But, um, but this is the thing is, his, Mo, we see the picture. Remember, it's just a trailer. But you see Moses' right standing. He stood in the right place. That is what gave him access to the glory, to the face-to-face, to the intimate relationship with God, his right standing. So we can't just talk about righteousness like, oh, yeah, I get it in my book. Like, no, I want to make sure that we are in right standing, which we are. So this idea of us, this justified life, the, the righteous, if you receive righteousness, you're reigning in life. And this reigning life looks like this justification of life. This picture of us standing on a rock, it was just painting a picture of what we look like today. That means that justification is just as if I'd never sinned. When he looks at us, it's just as if I'd never, ever sinned before. I'm sta- When I stand on the rock, it's just as if I'd lived perfect like Jesus did because of my right standing because because of what he did so why waste it why waste it or even worse why limit it if he's given us this right standing if he's given us access to this face-to-face intimate relationship with God why waste it or why limit it to like what I understand or what I could do if I want a life full of glory If I want a life full of glory, then I want to build my life on the rock. Seriously. <sighs> I don't, I don't, I feel like you guys don't get it. I'm not, I'm not coming to you. I'm, not, I'm serious. I'm serious. I feel like you guys are still looking at this like it's a teaching. It's not. This is the invitation from a husband. He's saying, I built you for this. 
I built you for this. And we let the law get in the way. We let our, it's like, it's like, it's not a teaching. This is the heartbeat of our father saying, I want you to build your life on me. I want it. You think when Jesus came, he was, he was saying, build your life on the rock. He was inviting us and teaching us how. This is the heartbeat of what he's built us for. And even when we messed it up, he said, ah, okay, let me figure it out. All right, all right, all right, let's go. I'll, I'll put skin on. I'll come down and die for you. Nothing can keep us. Even ourselves can't keep us from it. We're talking about building a life full of glory, then we're talking about building a life on the rock. I'm going to say this. I don't even have, I don't, I don't give you this, but blessed are thou, Simon. I don't know. Blessed are thou, Simon. Do you know what? Jesus is asking it. No, I'm just going to say it because you guys know what I'm talking about. Blessed are thou, Simon, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven. And I call you Peter, a rock, and on this rock I'll build my church. He's not talking about a person. Actually, What he's talking about, he wants to build on, is the revelation of who Christ is from the Father. So when we're talking about Moses stood on a rock, when we're talking about us building our lives on a rock, when we're talking about this rock, this, this right standing to experience his glorious face-to-face relationship with him, we're talking about the revelation of who he is. We're talking about getting to know him. How, how peculiar that Moses says, show me your ways that I might know you. And then the very next sentence is, I want to see your glory. And the very next thing is, God, I want to show you my glory, stand on this rock. This desire to be, have our lives built on him, this desire, is, it's, that's my heartbeat. I just want to know him. I want to build my life on that rock, on that revelation of who Christ is. And it's funny because he says, I want to build my church. I want you to build me. Build me up on that revelation of who you are. I want to know you. This is Moses' cry here. It's wonderful. Oh, yes, perfect. Is this stirring some of you guys up? Okay. Okay. So, is anyone hungry for glory? Okay, good, good, good. Let's just look at briefly what led to glory. Because God, he he said, Moses said, show me your glory, but he didn't come out of a vacuum. Okay. It came out of... um, there was a couple things that happened beforehand. So if you look at Genesis um, 33, I won't, we won't go into all of it, but here's a quick summary. Um, it says at the very beginning that uh, Moses had this tent of meeting, and they called it the tabernacle of meeting. It started there. Go read that around if you, if you want. I know Grace is excited. Yeah, whatever. Um, and then what happened next is God shows up. In, uh, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 9, it says that a pillar of smoke came, and everyone came and worshiped. It was wonderful. And then... Uh, God spoke to Moses face to face as a friend. This is Exodus 33, verse 11. But notice how the story doesn't end with God just showing up. Okay, you got the tabernacle meeting and worshiping God shows up and they don't just leave. They see him show up and then Moses says, I want to speak to you face to face as a friend. When we talk about hosting the presence of God, we worship teams, we talk about this, is we can't just give up. If I invited you to my house, I wouldn't want to just give up when you showed up. Just be like, oh, you made it. That's the end goal. Thank you, God, for showing up. Nice. You know, make yourself at home. I got to go. The whole purpose of inviting you over is, that, oh, what do you want to drink? Can I take your coat? I actually made this food for you. I it's, it's actually that we would go deeper in relationship. That's the only reason I invite people over to my house. So the fact that he showed up and, and Moses said, I want face-to-face relationship, that's what kept, you know, the story doesn't end with him just showing up. Okay, so beautiful. Showing, showing up is a beautiful thing, but it's not the only thing. We miss out on so much more when we just settle for him showing up. 
And then in the context of this face-to-face conversation with God, Moses asked this, show me your way. Why? So that I might know you. It's Exodus 33 verse um, 12 and 13. A lot of us want to know God's ways, but we don't want to know God. And I'm not sitting here yelling at you guys. I'm saying even from personal, even preparing this message, I could say, God, I could, I could see, oh, I see what you're doing. God, show me what is it supposed to look like? What is, what is, what, you know, you know, what does this, what does this mean? But, but not want to get intimate with him. Well, let's keep going. I almost did this. I didn't do it, but I almost did it. Sitting with God, asking him, what are you up to tonight? And I felt this thing jump up in my heart. It it was this question. It said, are you done getting to know me? Have you learned enough about me to go and function? To do what I asked you to do? And I was like, ah. But sometimes that's how we operate. We're like, just tell me what I need to know so I can go do it. Moses said, "Show show me your way that I might know you. We want to know his ways. We don't always want to know him. God, show. sometimes we ask this question. God, show me what you're doing. Um. Well, he's trying to show us who he is. Yeah. And can I just make a quick side note here is God is not against showing us his ways. Look at Abraham. Look at Moses. He, he says, I'll show you. Look at those stars. Look at that sand. Look at Moses. He's like, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to use you. Uh, look at John 15, 15. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Why? Because you know exactly what the fathers are doing. Everything the fathers do, and I tell you. Servant doesn't, master, servant doesn't know what the master's up to. You're, not, you're no longer my servant. You're my friends. The invitation to knowing what God's up to is a wide open one. We have all, he's not against showing us what he's up to. Let me just clarify that. God clearly is fine showing us what he's up to. He has no problem telling us what. In fact, that's what he think prophecy is. He's all about it. Revelations 19.10, the testimony of Jesus, who he is, is the spirit of prophecy. So if we get consumed with what he's doing, uh, what he's going to do will always be wrapped up in who he is. We're like, God, just tell me what you're doing. What he's going to do is wrapped up in who he is. So Moses is saying, I want to know your ways so that I might know you and and ends up finding his glory and knowing his ways. He literally says, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'll go do what you said. I'm going to go do that. He explains everything. He tells him his ways, but it's wrapped up in pursuing knowing him. If we don't want to know him, oh my goodness gracious. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Jesus has helped me. Okay. Remember, our hearts are open to what God's doing. Some of us in here, are not taking what he's sharing with us seriously. We'll have a conversation with God. He'll say, I love you. We'll say, God, show me your ways. And he says, I love you. And we're like, I know that. John I already know that. We'll have a conversation. God say, what are you doing right now? And he says, I just, what do you want right now? He says, I just want to be with you. And we say, ah. We don't let what he's saying actually color the canvas of our imagination. We don't let it mold the clay. I mean, uh, that imagination where Pastor Gavin mentioned uh, in the Hebrew is actually paints this picture of a potter and clay. So when we let something in our imagination, we're actually letting it mold. You see what I'm saying? So we don't let, but when God brings us these things, I love you. I just want to be with you. They can be too simple to our natural brain that we like, we don't let it in. We don't let it color our imagination, the canvas of our imagination. We don't let it mold the clay of who we are. We don't let it in. And you look back to the garden, what we let in will live out of. So with God, 
The opportunity we have is him saying, I love you, is actually to let that in, to let him in. But when we don't let him in because we already know what it is, therefore we don't get to live out of it. Our clay is never shaped. It has no impact on the canvas of our heart. We have seen no fruit of it in our lives. And then we sit there frustrated like, where's the fruit of the Spirit? This is the fruit. Uh, uh, Romans 8, verse 6. Romans 8, verse 6. It talks about um, to be spiritually minded is to death. Oh, sorry, to be spiritually minded is life and peace, but to, be, but to be carnally minded is death. That word minded simply means what is in your mind. What have you allowed in? So to, to allow the spirit. So here we are. The spirit of God is saying, I love you. God who is spirit is saying, I love you. And we're saying, mm, I already know that. So we, we cannot be spiritually minded because we're not allowing him in. Oh, we can. We're learning something. You see what I'm saying? Here we are, the, the, our husband knocking at the door of our heart, God who is spirit. And he's saying to be spiritually minded is life and peace and to be carnally minded is death. And he's saying, the spirit saying, I love you. I just want to be with you. And we're like, no, I already, there's no room for that in here. I already know you love me. There's no room in the inn for you, Jesus. He's like, every time. <laughs> Got to go find the manger. <laughs> No, seriously, but we have no room. <laughs> Sorry. I was right there. Okay. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, sometimes God, I, I, I don't think we take some of these. We, we, like to, we like to think that because God is spirit and he, we read these stories, we think everything he's going to tell us is so magnificent. And, and we, read, we hear something from him like, I love you, or I, I just want to be with you. And we're like, oh, it's too simple. And it's like, oh, but let that simple truth paint. You think it's a complicated gospel? I mean, let that simple truth mold you. And until we do that, we won't ever. This is what's affecting our ruling and reigning. Some of us are, have such wonderful. <sighs> yes. This is, okay. This is good. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Let's just leave that there. Okay. Are we good leaving that there? <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll come back to it. Maybe I'll be up here next week. Who knows? <laughs> okay. All right. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So with the last part of this thing, let's just talk about, go back to Moses, okay? And let's even go back to Moses and the rock. You know, um, that word rest, um, if we didn't, we kind of glossed past it, but one of the things Jesus says when he says, um, when Moses says, show me your um, ways that I might know you. And then God's like, okay, sure. And then Moses is like, actually, I want your presence to go with us because without your presence, it's the only thing that sets us apart. If your presence doesn't go, I don't want to go. And God says, oh, I will do what you're saying. My presence will go. He says, he says this. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Promises. It. It's so good. Okay. Can I tell you about that word rest though? It's the same word that's used when Moses is holding his arms up and the Amalekites are losing the battle, okay? And when he lets his arms down, that word for letting something you're holding up by yourself down is rest. So rest is the opposite of holding something up on our own. Okay, we'll get that later, okay? And the funny thing is, I thought to myself, Moses never saw the promised land. Am I right? But do you remember why? There was a rock. 
And he hit the rock the first time and water came out. But the second time he was supposed to speak to it, but he hit it again. And because of that, he never got to see the promised land. Do you think God punished him? Remember this whole thing we're talking about raining. Do you think God punished him? You think God was like, oh, you naughty boy. Now you don't get into my rest. Do you think that God was like, you naughty boy, you didn't behave well, I told you, and then you didn't. Do you think that that was happening? He didn't get to see the promise because of that? Because in my Bible, on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's sitting with this guy who says, the Sabbath, I am the Sabbath. It's Moses and Jesus. You think he didn't get rest? So if he wasn't being punished, and he still got what he promised, then why not let him into the promised land? God was painting a picture of how to interact with, the, with his beloved son. And remember, he built Moses for ruling and reigning. So he cannot... Let me just take to my nose. God was painting a picture of how to interact with the beloved son. The same way he did when he said, stand on that rock. So Moses was built to rule and reign, like we talked about in Romans 6. So by not obeying God, but obeying how he'd seen God move in the past, Moses made the old way his new master. So he cannot lead God's people into the promised land where they're going to eat of vines they did not plant. A land of rest. You can't, if you're looking the old way, if you're looking at the old way. So God wasn't punishing him. He was in the middle of a painting. He's like, this is the picture. And Moses was like, no, let's do it the old way. And, and he was like, okay, well, you'll get rest, but just not here on earth. I remember that picture. Rest is, not, rest, is, rest is not doing nothing. Rest is letting down. So that picture of him letting down his, you know, in Exodus um, 17, it says that uh, the Amalekites would lose every time he held them up. And when he let them down, everyone would die. Um, on the good guys team. So rest is the opposite of holding up something on our own. See, this is so important for us here tonight specifically because there are things, God is the one who's empowering them to win. He's the one doing it, right? It's nothing special about Moses, right? So, so there are sometimes that even as we're doing good things on our own, let me, let me say this, the law was good. It was from God. We just couldn't hold it up on our own. So do you guys know the answer? What they did? Guess what they put under his butt cheeks? To sit on, to rest on. It was a rock. (sighs) So the laws are good. They're from God. We just couldn't hold them up on our own. Moses needed to sit down on the stone. Some of us are still trying to stand up right and hold up on our own very good Christian things. And they're killing us. Yeah, that's for sure. That's so good. We can't. We see death. It's so funny. We sit there and we see, we're like, we're like, God, I'll do this. It's funny because I actually, re- like, I seriously, I, it's funny. Like, it's, it's not that funny, but I would do things like this. Like, I would try not to sin for so long. And when I didn't sin, I felt fantastic. I was like, the Amalekites are dying. But then when I would get tired of doing the right thing, I would see death in my life. And I'd say, God, did what are you doing? But what he was inviting me to do is rest on what he's already done.
but but it, but we that picture painted there is it's 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 like yeah it's great it's Old Testament but like to bring it into our lives I think that sometimes sometimes I think you know if I do that I do all the Christian things but I do all the but I don't see life I don't see the fruit of it in my in my life oh my gosh. Uh, at this point, I'm just going with the ghost. So just sit in your chairs, buckle up, okay? Do you know, someone said the same thing in John, um, no, it was Matthew 7, I think. And these people come to Jesus and they're saying, he said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter, enter into the kingdom. There's people going to come to me saying, we prophesied in your name. We did wonders. We cast out demons in your name. And he says, apart from me, you never knew me. That word, no, is, I'm oh, sorry, I never knew you. <laughs> Sorry, oh my gosh. You think God is dumb? You think he's not omniscient? Of course he knew them. That word no is gnosko. It's what we talked about on Sunday. It's, it paints the pic. It's the same word used in Luke 1 where, where uh, the Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a son. And she said, I've never known. I don't know a man. You think she doesn't know a man? She's engaged to one. She knows a man. The picture gnosko is a picture of intimacy, such an intimate relationship that you would conceive from God. So when God says, I never knew you, he says, oh, you did all these things. You did all these Christian things. You did all these Christian things, but you, you held them up on your own. I never had access to be intimate with you. You actually kind of hid in those things from me. You wanted to know what you could do. for, And it's like, you see what I'm saying? The, the heart of the Father is, I want to be intimate with you. I'm trying to undress these things that are getting in the way of us being intimate. And we're like, no, 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 let's just do Christian things. But then, and then, we, don't, and then we don't hold them up. We don't see the fruits of it in our life. Some of us have been intimate with God and not seeing fruit. <sighs> I was sitting there, um, we, were, we were praying, and, and Rafa was praying, and he's, oh, his heart was just so fiery. And he prayed, so he said, God, don't let any of these preconceived, I stopped listening. Because the Spirit of God stopped and said, preconceived. And he started unpacking this idea for me. He's like, Megan, my, my wife, cannot get pregnant if she's already pregnant. Once we've conceived, it's impossible to get pregnant. I mean, like for that nine-month period. And some of us are having intimate moments with God, but not seeing the fruit of it in our life. And we think, I'm not fertile, but we are fertile. It's just that we've been intimate with something else first, and now we can't conceive from God until that thing's delivered. The second the baby's out, then we can, you see what I'm saying? And so it's not a matter of fertility. It's a matter of what we're going to and to be intimate with first in our hearts. We have preconceived, Moses had a preconceived idea of, oh, you, what do you want to do with this rock? Pfft, don't even talk, God. I know what to do with this rock. Ta-da! It wasn't until you see his heart turn where he says, I just want to know you. I want to gnosco you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to be so intimate that, we, that there's a fruit. that you see, My face shines with your glory. It's the exact thing that's talked about in 2 Corinthians 3, where it talks about we'll, our face um, will we'll see and reflect his glory. Right before it talks about seeing and reflect his glory, talk about being fruitful, multiplying, being intimate with something and multiplying, giving him access to the reproductive organ of our heart. It says that still to this day, when they read the Old Testament, there, there's a veil over their hearts. There's still something hiding their hearts from, we don't see the glory in our life, sometimes because we're being intimate with something else. Something's, something's coming before him in that, in that area of our life. That's all I have to say about that. Um, 
We have this husband who wants to be with us right now as we speak. We have this husband who wants to be with us on the ride home. And when we wake up in the morning, we have this, this father who's made us to have relationship with him and out of that place of relationship to rule and reign here. And we never stop ruling and reigning. We never stop. But what we allow in will affect how we're ruling and reigning. And I don't see any reason to waste this all-access pass to this face-to-face glorious relationship He's given us access to. And only He could do it. Okay. So, let's take a second and just be present with Him. And then we can um, do whatever feels appropriate. God, I thank you so much that you're here right now. And I thank you that we can just be with you. You have this deep desire in your heart. I mean, it's, it is like throbbing. Like we, 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 we know how much you love us and how much you want to be with us. And I just ask God that your Holy Spirit convinces us of this righteousness that this convinces us that we are standing on the rock, that we do have access to this glorious, glorious relationship with you, this face-to-face, that you convince us and convince us of things that are unrighteous, convince us of things that, that, that aren't founded on you. Convince us this week. Convince us right now, God, if there's anything we've been using in the natural to hide from you and your pursuit, if there's anything we've been using to cover the private parts of our heart, God, if you want to undress anything in us, we give you permission, God. You take preeminence right now. Even if it's uncomfortable, we say you are the comforter. God, do what you need to do. Let nothing get in the way of being intimate with you, God. Not our, not our time. Nothing. Hmm. not by my, not by, only by your spirit. Only by your spirit, God. Take us by the hand and lead us. We want to know you and to be known by you. So our prayer is simple this week. Show us your ways that we might know you. We want to, this time next week, when we come back here, we want to say, oh, I know him even more. We thank you for your face that goes with us. In this moment right now, we have the opportunity to be face to face with you. In the very next moment, your face is waiting for us. And we don't want to go anywhere without your face-to-face. We refuse to. Don't want to read about it in the book. We want the face-to-face. And God, show us your glory. Show us who you are, God. Manifest who you are. As we stand on this rock, as we sit, as we rest on your Son and everything he's done. I thank you for the prophecy (laughs) that people just start unlocking gifts of prophecy as we get to know you 
thank you that the testimony of who you are is the spirit of prophecy. So people prophesy not even for the sake of prophecy, but just because they just get so close to you in friendship, in love, that they hear your heartbeat and it's just natural to, to, to speak it out. Thank you, God. Thank you for making us. Oh, sorry, I'm taking so long, but you have it. You go. Thank you for making us how you made us. You made us the light of the world, and we do not hide that. We let we don't put that under a basket. Just like our Father, you started this whole thing saying, let there be light, and you made us like you. We don't hide. We don't hide. We don't hide. And I thank you, God, that you made us so fruitful. We let ourselves be fruitful. We let ourselves be filled with you, God, and overflow with you, God. And we thank you for trusting us with ruling and reigning and having dominion and subduing. We thank you so much for trusting with this authority. God, show us, like a good father does, how to walk in what you've created us for. In the morning, in the nighttime, when we miss it, God, I thank you for your discipline. We trust you, Abba. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And who he is. And everything he's done, we pray in that. And everything he means to you, we pray for that. Wrapped up in who he is, we pray in that. Standing on who he is. As we sit our butts on everything he's done, as we rest, as we let down, the, the, this doing this on our own, we let go of that. And we rest on you. That's what we pray these things in. We thank you for your friendship, God. Oh my gosh. We thank you for your friendship, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. So be it, God. I love you guys so much. Thank you for just being here. Have an incredible um, face-to-face week with him.